Welcome to the Amen Always radio broadcast with Derek and Frida Stevens. Tune in to hear the prophetic word as it goes forth. Well, for the month of, of July, we're going to be discussing the blessing and promise of God. The first part is Jesus' promise to the believers, and we're going to be talking about spiritual blessings. Now, this series is important to the believer's daily life. Believers have a promise from the Son of God, Jesus Christ, which details blessings to come. And God is true to his word, yet many believers are not receiving, or they receive, but they don't maintain the blessings that are promised in the word of God. So this series seeks to educate, empower, and encourage us to fulfill our role in receiving the blessings that God has intended for us. It also seeks to educate, empower, and encourage believers to be a blessing to other people as the word of God mandates. So let's go into uh, part one of blessings and promises of God. Jesus made a promise of spiritual blessings to the believer. Early in Jesus' ministry, if we look over in the book of Matthews, chapter 4, we see that is where Jesus first began to preach, and he called his first disciples. His first disciples were Simon Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, and John. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Shortly thereafter, he did his first miracles where he was curing and healing people of sickness and disease. And then when we go over into our focal scripture, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, this is where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And here is where Jesus gave the promise of spiritual blessings to the believer. Now, just before we read the scripture in Matthew chapter 5, we know that Jesus is the God of his word. We know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We know that he is the Messiah. We know that he is a risen Savior. We know the story, uh, the biblical story of Jesus, how he was born of a virgin, Mary, how he lived a sinless life, how he was crucified for our sins, how he rose from the dead on the third day, how he appeared unto disciples and others, and then he ascended unto the Father. We know the promise in the, the prophetic message that we have in scripture, that he shall return and that we shall go and be with him for eternity, those that are believers, those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So we know the biblical account of the life of Jesus. But when Jesus gave the promise of spiritual blessings, this was at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And so let's go to Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you notice something in this about this scripture, this is again at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And his earthly ministry began really in Matthew chapter 4, where he called his first disciples. He started preaching. He called his first disciples and he began healing the sick. But if you notice something about these blessings that he taught the disciples, they're all spiritual blessings. See, a lot of times we in the church, we look for natural, earthly, tangible blessings. And there are natural, earthly, tangible blessings which the Father has promised to us. And we're going to talk about that in part two next week. In this case, the first thing that Jesus promised were spiritual blessings. So what do these blessings mean for the believer? Well, blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're poor in spirit, that means the humble. When the Bible says poor in spirit, it means humble. Humility is realizing that all your gifts and blessings come from the grace of God. In other words, you did not earn the blessings and the gifts that you have. They came by grace, just like salvation is by grace. Your gifts and your blessings come from the grace of God. How many know there's people out there in the world that are more intelligent than you? That they're smarter than you. They work harder than you. They have more college degrees than you have. But yet, they still have not received some of the blessings that you have. So the gifts that you have are not because you have all of these accolades or you have worked hard. And don't get me wrong, you should work hard. That is your requirement. That's not the purpose of this message. The message is to let you know that what you have attained is only by God's grace. If it wasn't for his grace, you would have never received it to begin with. And then secondly, you could have lost it. You ever see someone that loses everything during a hurricane? Or someone that just a situation hits their life one minute, everything is going great. And then a situation comes and they just lose everything. It is the grace of God that we have received what we received and we're able to, to maintain it. To be poor in spirit means to understand that you are completely empty without God. To be poor in spirit means that you have to be devoid of pride. You cannot blame your success on yourself. You know, I'm often asked, well, Frida, how did you, how did you come up with the concept of Green Apple Accreditation of Children's Services? How did you get this company that's now national and international all around the world, an accrediting agency? How did you manage to do that? And I've been asked that by people all across the country. I've had elected officials ask that question. I've had church individuals. I've had people that were unsaved. People that look like me, but people that don't look like me have asked that question. How in the world did you come up with Green Apple Accreditation? And my answer has been the same since 2004. 
I didn't start Green Apple. God did. He just allowed me to be a part of his plan. He allowed me to be a part of something that was so great. It was greater than me that he started. So being poor in spirit is understanding that what you have, God gave you. You didn't attain it on your own, but in fact, it was his grace and his mercy. You have to be humble enough to be open to everything that God says, to be open to his will. Because if I was not humble enough to be open to God's will, I never would have had Green Apple Accreditation of Children's Services. I had to humble myself and recognize that this was something bigger than me that God had set in place. Poor in spirit, you cannot have the attitude of pride that you have attained something on your own. For example, in Paul, our example of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is found in Paul. Now, we know that Paul once persecuted the church, but on the road to Damascus, he was changed. He was changed by the same grace that saves us every single day because God saw what he was doing was wrong. But through grace and mercy and divine plan of God, God decided to give Paul a second chance. So God spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus and he was saved. So that was the grace and the mercy that was on Paul. But notice what Paul said in uh, Philippians 3 and 8. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul's humility was on display because he considered himself as the least of the apostles. And the reason why he considered himself the least of the apostles or the chief of all sinners, as it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, is because he knew that he had spent a majority of his life persecuting Christians and understanding that he was not perfect and that he has spent a majority of his life in sin. He recognized that the grace that's been afforded to him was not something that he deserved. He was granted grace by the mercy of God. It says, blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted. Well, if you're humble and you appreciate that all the gifts and blessings come from God, then you begin to grow in your love and gratitude for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to mourning and regret, the first thing is to regret your own sin. And you cannot say you're truly a believer or a Christian if you don't have any mourning for your own sin, any repentance in your heart. See, it should not take an elder in the church to get you to repent. It should not take conviction from a friend or a family member to get you to repent when you have done something wrong. If the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you, you've got everything you need to recognize when you are in sin, when you have done your brother or sister wrong, when you're not lining up with the word or the will of God. Therefore, you should be able to repent on your own. And when I say repent, I mean turn away from, not just say you're sorry or you apologize, but actually turn away from that situation. 
that thing, whatever that thing is for you as an individual. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In this case, humble, appreciative of the gifts and blessings of God, and come with an attitude of repentance and mourning for the sins that you have committed. There is a blessing in repenting. There is a blessing in turning away from sin. Let's look at David following his adultery with Bathsheba. See, David basically had Uriah killed and he took Bathsheba as his own wife. He and Bathsheba had a child together. But God sent a word through the prophet Nathan where God spoke a word to David and let him know that he was in sin. He sinned against God by having Uriah killed. What did David do? David could have been puffed up in anger and he would have ultimately lost his life and his entire ministry. Instead, David repented. It says that David repented of his sin of adultery. After David repented, he was able to go on with his ministry. But hold on, let's, let's look at the scriptures here. If you look at the life of David, even though he repented, even though he fasted and prayed, he still had a penalty to pay for his sin. There will always be a penalty for your sin. Even if you repent, there can be penalties for your sin. For in the case of David and Bathsheba, the Bible lets us know that they lost their son as a result of the sin. The Bible lets us know that the son became sick and eventually died. So blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. David was later comforted when his wife gave birth to another son. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A humble person comes to be meek or gentle and kind, even in the face of adversity and hardship. A person that is meek is one that has self-control, obedience, and submission to the will of God. And they will bring one peace in this world and in the next. So let's look at Jesus, who was a perfect example of meekness and a humble heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you look at the life of Jesus, everything from being crucified, from being spit on, from having his clothes ripped and torn from him, but being beaten, not one time did Jesus accuse, not one time did Jesus revolt. He could have at any point called forth a legion of angels to save him, but he did not do that. He remained meek He remained humble in the face of adversity and hardship. He exhibited self-control in the face of hardship. The Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How easy is it to retaliate when someone does you wrong? How easy is it to fight back when you're being falsely accused? Jesus was meek and humble and never did either one. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Righteousness in the New Testament is fulfillment of God's will in your heart. It is not just observance of the law, but it's an expression of brotherly love, a desire for justice and moral perfection. For example, Abraham, 
What does the scripture say about Abraham? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's found in Romans 4 and 3. And if you look at the earthly life of Abraham, you see the promise of God. This is where God gave a promise to Abraham. And God promised Abraham in Genesis. He says, I promise that you will be the father of many nations. That's why I now change your name from Abram to Abraham. I will give you a lot of descendants, and in the future, they will become great nations. Some of them will even be kings. This is in Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 5, where God appeared to Abraham and gave him a promise. And at that time, Abram, Abraham was not Abraham. He was Abram at first, and he was 99 years old. But, the, but God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And when he gave him the promise at that time, Sarah was also old, but yet she had no child. And so as the scripture goes on to say in verse seven, I will always keep the promise I made to you and your descendants because I am your God and their God. I will give you in them the land in which you are now a foreigner. I will give the whole land of Canaan to your family forever and I will be their God. Abraham, you and all future members of your family must promise to obey me. And then the scripture goes on to say what Abraham's responsibility was, what Abraham's future members of his family responsibility was, because how many know there is a responsibility on the part of the believer to receive the blessings and the promise that God has for you. So it goes on in scripture. And if we read further down in scripture, we see that God gave the promise to Abraham, changed his name. Sarah gave birth to a son, and then God tested Abraham. But Abraham believed God would do what he said. He believed God would fulfill his promise, and therefore God provided the sacrifice. The Bible says that Abraham's belief was credited to him as righteousness. And as Abraham believed God, he received the blessings that God promised him. So blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We know that God is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And there are things that he has promised to us. There are things that God has spoken to us through the word, and there are things that God has spoken us through our hearts. There are blessings that he has set aside for us. Yet what is preventing us from receiving them? Are we fulfilling our part of the bargain? Are we following that which God instructed us to do, to receive that promise? Because if you look in scripture, God said to Abraham, you and your descendants, he didn't say just to Abraham. He said to you and your descendants. It wasn't just for one person. It was for Abraham and his children and his children's children. And Abraham and the members of his family must promise to obey God. That was their responsibility in order to receive the blessing that God had for them. So what is your responsibility in order to receive the blessing that God has for you? Look at what God is saying to you in your life. And what is your responsibility? What's your role? And remember that is for you and for your household.
Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, one of the easiest signs that a person is a believer, a true Christian, is whether or not they are able to be merciful unto someone else. The Bible says in Luke 6.36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Mercy is the loving disposition towards those who suffer distress. In other words, if you don't have enough love in your heart to help someone else, you need to check your Holy Ghost meter. Check your Holy Ghost meter because something's off. It is a sign of whether or not you are a true Christian. If you can just look upon someone else, see them suffering and not want to show any mercy, check your Holy Ghost meter. Mercy, love, compassion, forgiveness towards a family member, church member, a neighbor. It brings peace in your relationships. It brings peace to your heart. One of the greatest things that you can do is to show mercy towards someone else. That means in a natural way or even in a spiritual way. If you see someone is suffering and they're hungry and they need of food and clothes and shelter, if the Lord has blessed you, give. It shouldn't take someone compelling you to do that. Something on the inside of you should have enough compassion for those that are in need. Because remember, if it wasn't for God's grace, you would be the person in need. You would be the person that was in need of shelter or food. So the easiest thing for the believer is to help those that he see, that he or she sees in need. Spiritual mercy, forgiveness, forgive offenses easily and quickly. Do not exact revenge. Comfort those who are hurting. These are acts of mercy. Be patient with those who make mistakes. Because guess what? You're going to need patience yourself. You're going to need forgiveness yourself. Everybody in the world needs forgiveness at some point. And if you believe that you never need to be forgiven, you are deceiving yourself. For all have sinned. We all make mistakes. But if you can't be merciful enough to forgive, check your Holy Ghost meter. If you're the type of person that you make a mistake, you want to be forgiven by God, you want to be restored immediately. But time someone does the smallest, pettiest thing to you, you can never let it go. Check your Holy Ghost mirror because something's off. Somewhere in there, you need deliverance from something that has happened in your past that you have never truly forgiven. And that's the reason why you can't let pettiness go. Check your Holy Ghost mirror. If you've got to go about trying to get revenge every time somebody does something small and petty to you, and you got to do it back. And then you go back and forth, back and forth like children. Check your Holy Ghost meter. You need deliverance. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The beauty of this particular blessing is that when you give it, you receive it. Now, you may not receive it from the same individual, but at a point in your life where you need it, you will receive it. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. David had the chance to kill Saul more than once but he allowed him to live. Now, remember, Saul was pursuing David and he was trying to kill David. Saul at this time was king and David had the opportunity to kill him, but didn't. So first Samuel chapter 24, if you look down at verse three, it says there were some sheep pens along the side of the road and one of them was built around the entrance to a cave. 
Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. In other words, he went to the bathroom. He needed to go to the bathroom. David and his men were hiding at the back of the cave. They whispered to David, the Lord told you he was going to let you defeat your enemies and do whatever you want with them. This must be the day the Lord was talking about. David sneaked over and cut off a small piece of Saul's robe, but Saul didn't notice the thing. Afterwards, David was sorry that he had even done that, and he told his men, stop talking foolishly. We're not going to attack Saul. He is my king, and I pray that the Lord will keep me from doing anything to harm his chosen king. Saul left the cave and started down the road. Soon David also got up and left the cave. Your majesty, he shouted from a distance. Saul turned around to look. David bowed down very low and said, Your majesty, why do you listen to people who say that I'm trying to harm you? You can see for yourself that the Lord gave me the chance to catch you in the cave today. Some of my men wanted to kill you, but I wouldn't let them do it. I told them I will not harm the Lord's chosen king. Your majesty, look at what I'm doing. You can see that it is a piece of your robe. If I cut off a piece of your robe, I could have killed you. But I let you live, and that should prove that I'm not trying to harm you or to rebel. I haven't done anything to you, and yet you keep trying to ambush and kill me. Now, notice the response here. David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He did not. Notice that David said, the Lord gave me the opportunity. In other words, David realized that I would have not even gotten that close to Saul if it wasn't for God giving me that grace to do that. But look at what he did with the opportunity. Instead of getting revenge, instead of exacting harm upon the Lord's chosen king, David let him live. Saul replied in verse 20 when he says, I realize now that you will be the next king and a powerful king at that. Saul acknowledged that David is going to be the next king. And not only will he be the next king, he will be a powerful king at that. So blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Because guess what? At that point, David and Saul are standing in front of each other. They're both enemies. And Saul has been seeking to kill David. David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Instead, he just cuts off a piece of his robe. And then he doesn't leave it at that, have bragging rights, tell his and his army about it and just have some bragging rights. No, he goes and he confronts Saul, lets him know, listen, God gave me you over in my hands, but I didn't do anything to you. Now he's standing in front of Saul and David just promised that he was not going to harm Saul. He just told his army that. So he's standing in front of Saul. Saul could have killed David at that point. But notice David's mercy on Saul led to Saul's mercy on David at that moment. Because instead of Saul responding with a sword, Saul responded in verse 20 by saying, I realize now that you will be the next king and a powerful king at that. See, this is a biblical illustration of what takes place today. You take a person in a church that God is doing something really powerful in them. They may not be the best, most likable person. They may have all kinds of flaws, as we all do. But God still chose them to be in that position. You take another person that's coming up through the ranks, who's going to eventually have that position. The two of them go to battle. The enemy is using the two of them to attack one another. 
If David had killed Saul instead of showing him mercy, Saul would have never gotten to the point where he acknowledged who God called David to be. See, sometimes God will use your enemies to acknowledge what he said about you. Thank you for tuning in to Amen Always Radio Broadcast with Derek and Frida Stevens. We pray that the word of God has been a blessing to your life. To sign up for School of the Prophets, visit us at amenalways.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or to download any of our broadcasts, find us on SoundCloud. Amen Always on SoundCloud. Blessings.